Yo, what's going on ladies and gentlemen, it's your boy E or E-Man, whichever one you prefer and welcome to the first episode of e vs The Culture Season 2. Boy, we're finally here after a year, we're finally here. Uh, so I'm going to quickly break down the show for you guys. For any of you that don't know, this podcast is here to have an open and honest conversation about the systems and constructs in place to keep us from power. We also talk about everything relevant to the culture, whether that be the politics, movies, music and other forms of art and media put out. So yeah, today we've got a few subjects. I'm going to get into all the little itty-bitty nostalgia trips in a minute, but I'm just going to break down for you guys two bits. Today, we've got a few subjects to break down, including the upcoming December 12th general election, so we're going to be talking about that, the controversy surrounding Ratman's debut movie, Blue Story, and obviously it being banned from certain cinemas, and we'll also be talking about the controversy surrounding SPAC Nation at the minute, which is uh, pretty pretty interesting. But before we get into that, I just want to put a movie and music spotlight up for the episode. So if you guys, this is a new thing that I'm going to be doing, and it's something that hopefully will uh, get you guys into more films and all that kind of stuff. Basically, I will give you guys a movie I have watched um, leading up to this episode and music I've been listening to up until this episode, and I'll just highlight one of each just to let you guys and let you guys in and let you guys see exactly what I'm into, things that you might enjoy, and all that kind of stuff. So when it comes to music, I'll start with music first to get out of the way, because it's the simplest, and that is OK OK by JB Schofield. The guy's killing it. Stretch It was a banger. I loved Stretch It so much. I loved the remix as well. Um, and then OK OK came out, and I'm telling you now, the instrumental, the wordplay within that song is amazing. The speed at which JB's rapping is just, it's Honestly, it is a vibe. It is a banger. When I graduate, I'm going to do a little video for my graduation. And I'm definitely having OK OK as the background music to that. I don't care what anybody says. Um, it's an absolute banger, man. So if you guys want to go listen to that, it's on YouTube. Obviously, JB Schofield. I think it's on GRM um, Daily on YouTube. And then obviously on Spotify and Apple Music or any other music platform you're on. Just type in JB Schofield OK OK or just put in the name of the song OK OK and you'll see it there. It's an absolute banger man. You don't want to miss it. It's amazing. Yeah, so that's in terms of the music. I've been having it on replay, man. It's just it's it's just one of those songs that when you get up in the morning, you're listening to it, you're up, you're vibing, you're that kind of stuff. You've got that next energy, next level energy. You want to do everything for anything, man. Even listening to the podcast. I listened to it whilst I was just typing out the notes for the podcast uh, earlier today. Uh, you know, it's just a banger. It's just a banger. And the movie I want to highlight today is a movie called Colourful, which was suggested by my great friend Paige. Um, amazing girl. Um, she's moving soon. So uh, I definitely wanted to dedicate this movie uh, shout out and spotlight to her because it is an amazing movie. Um, essentially, 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 uh, the movie Colourful is about a, um individual who commits suicide. Um, he's then given another chance at life by being placed in the body of a 14-year-old boy named uh, Makoto uh, Kobayashi. Kobayashi. Um, and Makoto has just committed suicide by a, an overdose of pills. And this soul who's already committed suicide is put into Makoto's body and is essentially given a six-month uh, time frame to learn about the sins of his own life and what he did wrong in his own life. And also, you know, 
figure out exactly why Makoto led uh, Makoto killed himself. Um, it's an amazing story. Uh, Paige actually she puts me onto a lot of stuff, especially with my depression. Um, she put me onto a great book which I'll remember the name of sooner or later. She put me onto a great book that I read, and it's just great to see that there are these amazing pieces of art and pieces of media and you know books that perfectly show and highlight and represent exactly how I felt when I went through the darkest moments in my life. Uh, and Colourful is definitely one of those movies. It's a Japanese animated movie. Um, it's amazing. Check it out. Uh, that is Colourful, C-O-L-O-R-F-U-L. I think there's a copy of it on YouTube as well, whether or not it should be up there or not. Anyway, I'm pretty sure it will be up on Crunchyroll and all that kind of stuff. Um, it is done by Toho and it was distributed by Toho Animation. Um, always reliable, um, and it is based off a manga, um, a manga book of the same name, um, which is pretty cool. But yeah, this this movie is so deep, it's so in depth. You know, um, as this soul starts to figure out exactly why Makoto, uh, Makoto killed himself, at the same time he starts up a friendship with someone called uh, Satomi, um, and essentially. It, it it's a great it's a great movie. It is honestly a great movie. Um you know, it's it's deep, it's sensual. A lot of Japanese animation movies um that aren't based on fantasy, sci-fi or anything like that, they are usually really, really deep movies. And it's it's just great to see one that represents something that is so close to my heart, which obviously is depression and is um suicide it is something definitely deep to my heart and it does really show you you know that actually when you look through the eyes of another person and you see exactly how much there is to lose after you've gone through that that actually you do regret um the choices you made and the way you decided to go out you know it is a massive factor when you look through other people's eyes and you look through the perspectives look at how much of a gap you leave in their lives you know, it's especially uh, when Makoto has a family and he is a friend now, you know, you see the kind of burden you committing suicide would cause, you know, despite of how you feel that's, that's you know, you only move your pain on to other people. Um, you know, so it's, it's an amazing film. Thank you so much to Paige for suggesting that. Um, Again, like I say, amazing person. Only she could find something like this where it's so good, it's so intricate, and it's so lovely to watch. It's so emotional to watch. Uh, it was released in August 21st, 2010. So it's quite an old animation, nearly nine years old. But it's timeless. It's timeless. The subject matter is timeless. It's something that I think now more than ever is something we need to talk about. Uh, male suicide and just depression in general, mental illness in general. Um, and also teach us to be kinder to one another, you know. And also there's a bit in the movie as well um, relating to a character called uh, Hiroka. Um, and that kind of gives you... A lot of people um, commit suicide and they get depressed because they they shape themselves up towards other people, other people who present themselves in a certain way. And especially Hiroka's character and uh, the depth behind her character, you kind of realise that actually, you know, there is a cost to there is a cost to these things there is a cost to uh, the lifestyle and there isn't it's not always as straightforward as it seems that lifestyle isn't necessarily real 
Uh, it's not necessarily the true representation of how a person lives their life, um, the way they uh, present themselves to other people and on social media. Uh, so that's a great subject matter as well, which, again, in today's society is a massive thing we need to talk about and a massive thing we need to, you know, we really need to engage on, which is that, you know, the lifestyles that people present over social media aren't necessarily the ones um, that are happening. You know, I'm someone who can massively take from that. I used to post videos of me flexing with bottles and clubs and all that kind of stuff. And the reality is I was very, I was very upset and a very depressed individual at that time. You know, the reason I did that was to make myself feel better and almost to make myself hide. You know, you get enough people around you, enough people who are going to almost mask your presence. You know, you become the, you become the background noise to whatever they're doing and you kind of enable them, um, you know, to, to mask you in a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, it was a very personal story um, for me. It was it was very relatable, and it's just great to see that representation on screen and in such a beautiful form, like anime. You know, an anime form. It is just gorgeous. Um, you know, this story, and it's so complex. Animation allows you to delve so much deeper into things. You know, you may not think it, but sometimes I feel like animation perfectly portrays the human condition you know, perfectly does, objectively, and just beautifully, you know, presents the human condition, it's just gorgeous to watch, um, so again, thank you Paige so much for that, um, it was definitely eye-opening, and it was definitely lovely to watch, the ending was amazing, um, and it really does represent the journey someone with depression, with a mental illness goes through, um, especially when they go through something like suicide or attempted suicide, it really does, you know, show you through the eyes of another person, it really does show you that there is this battle and there is almost this rebirth after an attempted suicide to, you know, to really look at life and look at what it represents and what it can do for you. Um, and it's definitely something that helped me get through my depression um, after my attempted suicide. So, again, that is the movie and music spotlight of the episode. Uh, like I say, OK, OK by JB Schofield. Check it out. And, of course, Colourful, which obviously you can check out on YouTube because there is a copy on YouTube. Uh, Crunchyroll and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Now we've got all of that out of the way and now we've got those little bits out of the way. I just want to... I just want to talk about how good it is to be back. It's amazing. As you guys can probably tell, we are you're not watching me at the minute. You're listening to me, um, which is obviously a big change. Uh, I'm not really going to go into why. I guess anybody who has watched my video on my YouTube channel, Everse the Culture, anybody who's watched um, that video on my channel will know that there were certain things going on at the time when I'd, I'd already planned season two out. Um, and I'd planned to bring it back in the summer. And there were certain things blocking me from being able to do that at the time, which is always sad. It's always, it's, you know, it's always upsetting when you can't do it. I loved the first season. As much as I was inconsistent with the first season, I had a lot going on. You know, it's just it's just an issue. It was an issue. But no, now I'm back in an audio format, just for a lot of reasons, really. It's a lot easier for me to edit. It's a lot easier for me to record. I can be a lot more flexible. I can initiate a schedule um, in which I can kind of build the rest of my life around a podcast episode, which is great. Uh, so, yeah, welcome back, guys. Welcome back to Everse to Culture Season 2. I'm so happy, man. I'm so glad to be doing this. It's just nuts. It is just nuts. 
Um, so thank you guys so much for tuning in. You know, it's it's a massive help. You know, as I said in the in the introduction, you know, we're here to have an open and honest conversation about systems and constructs uh, in place to keep us from power. You know, the only way we can uh, we can even combat those forces is talking truth to them and you know exposing them for what they are. And the bigger this family gets, the more able we're going to be able to do that. The more able we're going to be able to amplify voices within the community as well as my own in order to you know properly speak truth to power. Um, properly so thank you guys so much for listening and thank you guys so much for you know for tuning in and coming back so 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 the first thing we're going to be talking about today is the december 12th general election now this is you know is a complete and utter mess it's just a mess um I'm not very happy about this. I don't think a lot of people in the country are very happy about this for a lot of reasons. You know, we've now had three years of Brexit talks and it's just got us nowhere, despite what the Conservatives have promised us, despite what Nigel Farage promised at the start of the Brexit campaign, at the end of the Brexit campaign. None of it has come to fruition and it is a problem. It is a massive problem. You know, we're now here three years down the line after we had a vote in 2016 and... Yet again, we're looking for another government to lead us into withdrawing from the European Union. Now, in terms of full discretion, I would I wasn't old enough to vote when the Brexit vote uh, happened. If I did vote, I would have voted leave. That is no, I would have voted remain. Sorry, plain and simple. Now I'm in the position of I just want the UK to leave. As much as I would have wanted us to remain, I now think that this is now too far gone, and that we just need to get out now anyway. Um, you know, I think that in terms of what happens after Brexit, I think there will be a short-term economic impact on the country. I do think we'll be forced into a minor recession um, as a result. Not for long, not for long at all. I, I think, you know, actually the long terms actually outweigh the short term. Uh, the long term possibilities outweigh the short term issues that we will have. But it's something that's happened ever since the vote was announced. I was very much a person who said to people, look, you need to do your research. You need to see what economists are saying. You need to see what experts are saying. You can't just listen to what the parties are putting out. Because in actual fact, during the campaigning for Brexit, there was no information from either side that could properly inform people into what vote they were making. Nobody, you know, I criticised the vote itself because there was no... There was no discretion between a no deal vote and a uh, deal vote at all. It was a yes or no, stay in the European Union or leave the European Union. Then there was no kind of discretion or no kind of elaboration on how we'd leave the European Union, which I'm pretty sure if people had the choice, considering how they were informed by Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson at the time, they would have well gone for a no deal for which we weren't prepared for in any circumstance whatsoever. I guess it's kind of a positive that... You know, we've had three years to prepare now if we do go for a no deal at the end of the day. I don't think we would have fared very well if we'd taken the no deal and left on the day the referendum result uh, was announced. I just don't think we would have um, at all. And I think we would have been in a worse off po uh, position for longer than we would be now, which is, you know, we're prepared. They're, the government has um, 
obviously started to stockpile certain uh, certain things um, to kind of save off any real bad economic damage to the country. Um, so we are in a good place. We are in a prepared place, I guess. But just in a sense, I'm just tired of it. I just want us to leave. So in full discretion, that's where I am. Um, I do think that at the end of the day, once this Brexit negotiation is done, I think, yes, the people should have a vote on whether or not they want to proceed with the deal. Uh, what's called, if they want to proceed with the deal, or they want to remain, you know, I think I think that is a vote that the British people have to take again because I think, you know, positions have changed. You know, America is about to go in for another presidential election, which means any kind of thing that Donald Trump has promised, I'm sorry, there's a 50-50 chance that we will not have the next... Pre- if Donald Trump will be in office to fulfil those promises, you know. And not just that, part of his promises all hinder on supposedly the NHS being up for sale, but we get into that in a minute. You know, just in terms of the actual position we're in at the minute as a country, I do feel like it's best for us to leave. But I think there are quite a few short-term negatives we need to be considering. And, you know, the Leave voters, the devote Leave voters, the Brexit and the Conservative voters will all go, oh, you're fear-mongering. No, it's called being realistic. I'm sorry, but you're not informed if you're not informed of exactly what could go wrong and how it could go wrong. No matter how impossible it may seem, if it is in any way slightly possible, it is something you should have informed yourself on and something you should have taken into consideration when you voted. That is that is the responsibility you undertake with the power of your vote. The reason you were given the power of a vote is so that you could vote in a, you could vote informed. You would make the best informed position for yourself and for your area and for your country. You would make that vote informed on exactly what would happen if your vote led to the person of your choice being elected or you know, Brexit in a referendum, you are supposed to be informed. And unfortunately, not a lot of people were. And it's kind of telling. Um, I saw a graph in terms of what what policy issues and what political issues are at the top of the voting agenda um, at the minute. Brexit is number one. Um, then it's the NHS. Then it is crime. Then it's immigration. And then it is... Uh, no. Then it's the NHS... Then it's the economy, then it's crime, and then it's immigration. Immigration is at the bottom of the voting agenda at the minute when it comes to political policies. And that just shows you, I'm not being funny, that just shows you, Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson ran on this entire campaign of you know, get the immigrants out. That was it. Stop immigrants coming into this country. The reason we're in the economic situation we are at the minute where the NHS is so overused and the reason that the country is faring worse is because of immigration, illegal immigration. And then the scapegoat for that was the European Union. When, in actual fact, when you look at the free movements of people, you know, at the end of the day, those immigrants coming from Syria, Africa, um, or anywhere in the Middle East aren't classed as European citizens. If they do not settle... If they do not settle in any of the countries they pass through, in any of the European countries they pass through, they're not European citizens, which means that the UK is not bound by the free movements of people because those refugees and because those immigrants from the Middle East, from Africa, from Syria, are not European um, European citizens. You have to be a European citizen for the free movements of people to apply to you. So it was it was complete crap. Yes, there is an immigration problem, but it doesn't stop the fact that a lot of 
the policies and the issues that Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson both discussed had nothing to do with the European Union at all. It had to do with domestic policy and domestic policy choices uh, that the UK was well within its rights to change. You know, it's ridiculous. I sit there now and think, how the hell did we go from a country that in 2016 was bordering on a mass xenophobic nation to now not giving a crap about it at all. How is that at the bottom of the agenda? And I mean, Nigel Farage has now listened to critics and is now in his people's promise or promise to the people. He's not calling it a manifesto because he said the name manifesto has been tarnished by uh, the Labour and by the Conservatives by not following through uh, on the policies they promised to introduce. So it's called his promise to the people and he has made a point on um, immigration. Obviously, Boris Johnson has made a point in his manifesto about immigration by introducing a points-based system for which Australia has. Um, and again, you know, you kind of sit there and you just go, why is this, why, this is now becoming a part of the agenda because the rest of the agenda, like the economics, none of it's adding up. You know, none of it is adding up. Everything you told us is not working and it's not actually happening. So, you know, now it's, oh, shift back to immigration, make immigrants the scapegoat again. You know, and the whole issue with the Asian immigrants in the lorry, dying in the lorry in Essex, was the perfect way to frame it. And Nigel Farage, in his speech, when he introduced his promise to the people, did mention the whole thing with the lorry, like... Okay, but there are immigrants coming over the boat, uh, coming over the channel in boats every day, drowning in the channel, and you pick the most notorious case of um, death for illegal immigration there is to make your point. It's it's just see through. It's just plain. Um, in in essence of full discretion again, as you know, I haven't mentioned Jeremy Corbyn at the minute in terms of like uh, degrading him. Um, I am going to be voting Labour in the general election, but. To be honest, I'm not here to convince you guys whether to vote Labour or not or to vote for anybody else. At the end of the day, all my position is, realistically, in giving to you guys, is that you are given a vote. It is your right as being a British citizen to have the vote. You have the right and you have the will and the power through your vote to change the political landscape, to change this country. And I'm sick and tired of people going, oh, one vote won't change anything. I saw a graph or a um, graphic that said... More people didn't vote. Uh, I think it was 13? 13? Let me, let me just quickly check that. I think it was 13 million um, people didn't vote in the general... This is a graphic that I should have got up ages ago, but let's have a look. How many people didn't vote in the general election? Uh, See, this is this is just this is just uh, it's just ridiculous. Where is it? Um, it doesn't it doesn't actually say um, it doesn't say 
uh, how many people have registered to vote, um, didn't register to didn't vote um, last year. But they're called the unheard third, and the reason they're called the uh, look here. So here is in the twenty fifteen general election. Okay, thirty four percent of the country did not vote at all. That is compared to Labour, where 24% of the country voted for... Uh, no, 24% of the country voted for the Conservatives, 20% of the country voted for Labour. So the non-voting percentage of people in this country almost matched, or is literally a... Um, what's called... Um, the whole of the Conservative voter base and half of the Labour uh, voting base. Literally... The entire third. Literally, you could fill that up with a third party. You'd think there was a third party there. 34%. That's 34% of people who didn't vote. I don't exactly have the numbers, but I'm pretty sure it was around 13 million, I think I saw. Which is just crazy to me. It's crazy to think that people don't feel like... People will sit here and complain. I think I figured that it's happened more since Brexit happened. People will sit here and complain about you know the political climate um, and the national climate... But without actually doing anything, did you vote for Brexit? And what did you vote? Did you vote in the last couple of general elections? And if not, why didn't you? You know, I'm perfectly of a position now where your political opinion no longer matters to me if you have not voted. Because at that point, you have decided, you have yourself decided that your political opinion does not matter. Because you haven't used the power you have to solidify and put forward that political position and make it matter you know you've invalidated your own political position and your own political opinion by not voting so at least as far as i can see at the minute it looks like most of the voters um most of the voters or people who have signed up i think there was a bbc report there saying that most of the um most of the people who have signed up are um young people at the minute so here it is saying here where is it this is on a sky uh, news article um it says with one day left to go 2,824,750 people signed up with the vast majority of them being young people here's a breakdown of the voter registration applications by age so far under the age of 25 1 million 9,000 of those 2,800... 1 million of those 3 million sign-ups were young people. 25 to 34 was 851,000. Uh, and as it goes up, it gets lower, it gets lower, it gets lower. So essentially here it is the... It is the young people who will decide this election. Um, which is great, it's great. Um you know, the generation, the political generation is getting a lot younger. The generation of people who, you know, are involved in politics is getting much younger. And unfortunately, unlike the Conservatives, the Conservatives don't seem to get that it is going to be young people that decide their votes. It's not going to be the older people in those locked away districts like it was in the in their last general election. Um, it will be the young people in London who are now old enough to vote. And I guess as much as I say it's ludicrous that, you know, we've now had, we're going to have, by the time this general election is over, we're going to have, have had four 
government changes, government changes. So we had David Cameron's, then we had Theresa May's, uh, now we've got Boris Johnson's, and depending on the result on December 13th, we could have Jeremy Corbyn's government in power. So that will be four government changes in three years. And I think that's nuts, considering the fact that, you know, that is, that's 12 years of general elections and government changes just done in three years it's just it is crazy to me but you know it's it's i guess it works in a sense because the young people that missed out with the brexit uh vote uh just missed out then got to vote in the next general election but there wasn't enough young people at that time who had recently turned 18 and ready to vote there weren't enough people and i don't think it was at the top of the agenda for young people at that time now it definitely is now with things coming out like the conservatives wanting to sell off the nhs to the americans for a trade deal and all that kind of stuff it's definitely become a hot button issue um i'm just you know i'm kind of just like kind of sitting here and just going I don't know who's going to win, if I'm being honest. I think Nigel Farage is very confident that the Brexit party is stealing votes from Labour, but I think it could be quite the opposite. I think Nigel Farage underestimates the political landscape and the sentiment towards him at the minute. I think a lot of people blame him for the situation we're now in, which is an incredibly polarised country at the minute, a split country. I think a lot of people blame him for that, and I think they blame the Conservatives for that. So if anything, I think that the Brexit party will be leeching off the Conservatives more than it will be Labour. And I think Labour will be picking up a, key, a few key um, Conservative play, uh, parts and Brexit parties. Um, safe positions as well and I mean I'm just going to quickly go through the Conservative manifesto here I'm not going to go through Labour's one because it's quite convoluted it's quite um, it's quite it's, it's, it's quite busy is what I'll say um, but just to give you a taste of like the Conservative manifesto and just give you at least some kind of semblance um, it's called Boris Johnson's Guarantee and it says, if there's a majority of Conservative MPs on December 13th, I guarantee I'll get our new deal through Parliament. We will get Brexit done in January and unleash the potential of our whole country. I guarantee extra funding for the NHS with 50,000 more nurses and 50 million more GP surgery appointments a year. 20,000 more police and tougher sentences for criminals. An Australian-style points-based system to control immigration. Millions more invested every week in science, school, apprenticeships and infrastructure while controlling debt. Reaching net zero pollution by 2050 with an investment in clean energy solutions and green infrastructure to reduce carbon emissions and pollution. And we will not raise the rate of income tax, VAT or national insurance if Jeremy Corbyn's Labour and Nicola Sturgeon's SNP team up and take control of December 30th. We will have two referendums on Brexit and Scotland in 2020. Please support a majority Conservative government so our country can move on instead of going backwards. So let me just get, point out what I find very interesting about this manifesto. So the extra funds in the NHS obviously is going to now in that point and refute the claims that he's been trying to sell off the NHS, even though Jeremy Corbyn in a recent press interview said he had a 400-page document that outlined six meetings where UK officials had met with US officials and had spoken about the NHS being on the table for a US-UK trade deal. Um, so that's interesting. The 20,000 more police and tougher sentences for criminals is something that also hits close to home with um, you know the black community because if there's going to be no addressing of the 
dropping social standards and the social uh, investment in the black community, helping black people come out of poverty and black families come out of poverty and helping them move forward, then this 20,000 more plates and tough sentences is just going to lead to more social discourse. It's going to lead to a greater division of the black community and the police. And it just doesn't work. You know, it means more social uh, stop and searches. And it just allows the current system, the broken system in place already to, you know, it just leads to more issues. And I mean, it's interesting with tougher sentences for criminals because as it is at the minute, the UK prison system is falling apart. I mentioned this in season one uh, of Eversus Culture when we were talking about um, when we were talking about uh, uh, prison reform and the issues coming towards the black community very soon, which is that the government can no longer financially sustain prison, their prison system, which means it will probably lead to privatisation and. Tougher sentences for criminals is ridiculous because you're going to be putting more criminals already into a system that you can't financially support. So you're going to be increasing the financial burden and it's just going to be pushing the government into privatising the UK prison system, which, as we all know from what goes over on over in America, it's not a good idea. It's not going to be fun at all. It's just going to lead to another system of oppression and it's going to turn black bodies into profit at the end of the day. So I'm not very happy about that. An Australian-style points-based system to control immigration. Now, I agree with that. Because we will be outside the EU and we'll be able to draft our own immigration policies um, you know, tailored to EU citizens as well. Because despite the rhetoric, most of our immigration does come from EU citizens. It doesn't come from outside the EU, like Nigel Farage and like uh, Boris Johnson likes to claim. Uh, most of it comes from EU citizens and they are let in from the free movements of people. The only problem, as I say, I have with that is the assertion that it is immigrants from outside of the EU outside EU, non-EU immigrants and refugees that are causing the strain on the system. Because in reality, if the British immigration system was working properly, we would be able to stop that influx of non-EU immigrants and refugees. We would be, because they are not protected under the Free Movements of People Act. They are not EU citizens. Um, so... Yes, I agree with an Australian-style points-based system. I 100% agree with that. But I also think it's, at the end of the day, it's it's offering a new system when in actuality you don't actually need one. You just need to improve the system you already have or implement the system you already have. Um, millions more invested in every week in science, schools, apprenticeships, and infrastructure while controlling debt. Now, that's a bit of a sticky one because, you know, it's, it doesn't tell you specifically how it's going to be, be uh, funding everything. So in terms of science, schools, and apprenticeships, like what about any of our social programs, like social, uh, social, like social centres, um, all that kind of stuff in low-income black communities to help keep, keep yeah, help keep kids off the street and help them have a more positive influence in their lives. Um, there's no mention of that and infrastructure again. You're tying science, all those things together without giving any detailed uh, ways you're going to solve these issues. Because if you tie them together, you then say, oh, if we don't have enough money to fund infrastructure, then we don't have enough money to fund apprenticeship schools and science. Like We don't have enough money for all of it. So you need to kind of remove them and kind of, you know, separate them a little bit. I think that's the best way, the best thing going forward for there. Um, reaching net zero uh, pollution by 2050 with investment in clean energy solutions and green infrastructure to reduce carbon emissions and pollution. Now, I agree with this. As much as I don't um, 
you know, I'm... Facts show that the UK is not one of the leading uh, contributors when it comes to um, pollution and global warming. We're just not in terms of our emissions and all that kind of stuff. But I do think that if we want to consider ourselves a global leader, we need to be inspiring other countries to do the same. And I think through investment into clean energy solutions and green infrastructure and introducing these ideas, maybe other countries will adopt it, like the United States, like China, and move towards those green infrastructure um, ideas and hopefully help reduce carbon emissions and pollution. I think that's a great I think that's a great point. Um, obviously again with this manifesto there is no detail in how he wants it, how the government wants to do it. It's very difficult to do in four years. Um, but you know it's it, it's a good policy point. Um, I just hope that obviously it does deliver as promised and we don't just get more windmills put up um, because oof, and we will not raise the uh, the rate of income tax, VAT, or national insurance. Now, this is interesting simply because of the fact, as I said, when you come from, when you go approach Brexit from an economic standpoint, there is definitely going to be an immediate short-term economic impact. Now, how is the government going to subsidise that? Obviously, they're still negotiating with the US and other countries in terms of trade deals. Um, you know, so where is that money going to come from? It's not going to come from, you know, it's not going to come from our trade because... We haven't got those deals in place. The only place it can come from is income tax, VAT, or national insurance. Or it will mean more measures of austerity, so cutting the NHS, cutting police, cutting firefighters, cutting all of the uh, social services we have in place, introducing a universal credit system which destroys families, destroys families financially. You know, where is that money going to come from? It's either austerity measures... Or they will break their promise and increase tax. That's just it. That's what they'll do. Um, and then, obviously, the last bit, if Jeremy Corbyn's Labour and Nicola Sturgeon's SMB team up and take control on December 13th, we have two referendums on Brexit in Scotland. Please support a majority Conservative government so our country can move on instead of going backwards. Now, this, to me, is a bit... It's interesting simply because of the fact that how is the... how are the people having direct political power and power over policy choices? Um, how is that moving backwards? I mean, the confidence in Parliament, the confidence in MPs has been so shaken um, recently that, you know, a referendum seems like the only way that people can have their voices heard and have the policies they want put into place. As much as I don't agree with the Brexit referendum, I do agree that, you know, referendums are a point of, you know of our political power, you know, overruling the parliament and making making the parliament do as we want, which with Brexit they've shown they can't, they can't handle at all. Um, and it's clear, sorry, it's clear from this manifesto message that they see referendums and direct political power of the people as this country going backwards, which just tells you, like, they don't want the people having any power. They don't want the people having any kind of, um, you know, direct influence over policies and the political direction this country goes in. So I find that amazing. And please support a majority Conservative government so our country can move on instead of going backwards. This is incredibly interesting, again, because that genuinely... The country moving forward would be everybody coming together and agreeing on the best way to move forward. 
having a conservative majority isn't doing that because essentially you load one side with one ideology and one line of thought and you bully it through there is no in there is no in, input from the other side at all simply because of the fact that you know there the conservatives have a majority labor smp um, the brexit party anybody no one will have a say because the conservatives will have a majority so you know that just shows not, uh, Boris Johnson's complete lack of faith in his own party, in his own policy decisions, and his Brexit deal because he knows that he won't get it through Parliament without a majority, which means he is not willing to work on a bipartisan um, basis with any of the um, with any of the different parties without taking any input or any ideas from the British people that voted for Labour or SNP. He just wants to bully it through. And, I, you know, that's just telling of this whole general election, this Brexit debacle, is that, you know, both sides are going all in and they are trying their hardest to win. So it's going to be interesting. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, this interlude is going to be coming in 10 minutes late. We're supposed to be doing this at the 30-minute mark. But thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Everse The Culture Season 2. If you're enjoying today's episode and you want to hear more, then subscribe, follow, and like this episode. Follow me on whichever way you can, whichever platform this is on. Share it with your friends and make some noise about it. The only way we can really speak truth to power is to amplify the voices of those bringing that power into question. So I'd appreciate it if you join the movement and the family and help me out in any way that you can if you guys have any topics or anything you want me to talk about or anything you want to suggest maybe you even want to sit next to me and talk to me um on the show about something uh let me know and get in contact with me uh obviously on my social medias on instagram on twitter and all that kind of stuff links to those things will be in the descriptions and everything uh for you or on my profiles so check those out and just get in contact with me if you have anything you want to discuss or anything like that so thank you guys so much and we'll be going back to the episode in a minute yo what's going on guys and welcome back Welcome back to the first episode of Eversed Culture Season 2. And to now we're going to be talking about Ratman and his film Blue Story. Now, if you guys haven't seen anything about this, you've been living under a rock. If you don't know who Ratman is, again, you've been living under a rock for the last year and a half. If you guys didn't know, Ratman uh, directed and basically starred in a... Um, three-part series he did called Shiro Story, uh, featuring Jovi and Wayne, and I can't, I think it was Pearlene Lescott. I don't want to say that I've got it wrong, but yeah, so basically, remember Mandem on the Wall? Most of you will probably remember Mandem on the Wall. Um, yeah, uh, those two uh, out of the three, uh, Shara's story, basically following a young guy in the end who uh, takes up drug dealing, um, and makes a lot of money out of it, a story of betrayal, it's really a great series, it really is, I can't stress enough, I was so emotionally invested in it, Cadet was in it, um, for the end of the second episode, and most of the third, uh, third part, um, it's a great story, and I think it really does symbolise exactly, you know, the, as I've said on this podcast and on the first season, it, you know, there's so much glorification of gang violence and belonging to a gang culture and there is 
definite rationale for it. You know, there's definite rationale for it. Social isolation, you know, uh, family isolation, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's so much for it where you sit there and go, actually, yeah, there's a lot of good reasons why people join gangs and join that lifestyle. But at the same time, there, you know, there's always a glorification of what happens when you're in that lifestyle, which I know personally from knowing people who have been killed, um, through stabbings, uh, the incident with Mostak that happened recently um, at Gallery uh, Nightclub in Maidstone, um, obviously, again, shows you that there should be no glorification of this. Yes, it's a portrayal of reality, but when you get to a point where you're glorifying it, like some artists and some people do, you know, it's a bit ridiculous, and Shiro's story never glorifies it. Um, and it's the same with Blue Story. Ratman's debut film. Obviously, he got signed to Jay Z's uh, label first, and then Paramount picked up his movie for which he directed and made his directing debut for a feature film. And it's an amazing film. It's amazing. Now, I don't always, as a film student and as a future director, I kind of, when Ratman interludes with his raps a bit, it kind of, especially in Shira's story, um, it felt a bit repetitive. It felt a bit like a gimmick. In Blue Story, in some way, it feels like a gimmick, but at the same time, it acts as exposition, which, you know, kind of allows people who don't live that lifestyle and have never been around it, it allows them to understand the character's barrier. It allows them to understand the situation better. And Ratman and the script don't pull any punches in how they, you know, completely go after this notion of how gang violence should be glorified. They go after it, like cutthroat, go after it. And, you know, there is a complete, you know, there is a complete, no, this isn't the lifestyle you should be living. No, this isn't something you should be glorifying. This is what happens to you. And, you know, it's about two friends who eventually are divided by something that a lot of people, if you have been involved and if you know what has gone on in the last 20 years when it comes to gang violence and stuff, is definitely a big rivalry. Um, you know, Peckham used to have massive issues with uh, gang violence and Lewisham has always struggled with that as well. A lot of, uh, you know, London um, London boroughs have struggled with that. Um, Thamesmead and Abbey Wood, where I lived, massively struggled with it. You know, it, it's it's a real, it's a real thing. Um, and, you know, it, it's... It's difficult, you know, it's difficult to see, it's difficult to hear um, and watch, um, you know, um, I'm just glad Ratman made this film, um, I'm glad that this happened, I'm glad this was a thing, and to hear what happened afterwards is just ridiculous, I mean, I'm reading a Sun article at the minute where it says, a hundred armed um, what's called um, children, and it's directly linking it to Blue Story, um, and it's just it's just it's ridiculous, um, you know. From everything um, I've heard, you know, and from everything I've seen, at least from eyewitnesses, it doesn't have much to do with what. Um, it doesn't have much to do with what is going on in terms of uh, in terms of what is going on with the film. As far as I'm concerned, it was Asian boys um, who were involved. As far as I'm concerned, um, 
this was all happening outside the cinema. There was no direct link to Blue Story. But View Cinema, who banned, who initially banned the movie, um, you know, by banning it, they really showed that they thought it was Blue Story that was the problem when it wasn't. You know, it is it, in no way is this film. If you watch this film, in no way is this a glorification of gang violence whatsoever. It is a, you know, it is a straight out. No, this is not the right thing to do. And it's just amazing showcase them followed suit. And the outpour and the social media outpour was just, um, you know, it, it's just, it's, you know, um, it's ridiculous. Um, so many people sitting there and saying, you know, this has got nothing to do with Blue Story. Some people have come out and called it institutional racism, which... Yes, in a sense, I can see. Would I call it straight-up institutional racism? I don't think so. Um, you know, I don't think so. Um, you know, it's... It's... Oh. I think, yes, in a sense, it is institutional racism. I think we saw it when... Um, Menace to Society was released, and when Boys in the Hood, um, their trailers were released, there was a lot of backlash in America over those films and about how they thought it would glorify violence. But in actual fact, <coughs> those movies are a flat-out denial of um, of the the themes and of gang violence. You know, it's Blue Stories struggling under the same thing, and for cinemas to straight out ban it. Um, it's well it's very telling you know it's very telling of the climate we're in which is that black people still can't you know fully show people what it's like to live um without being hit with oh you're glorifying gang violence that itself is racist because oh because we're showing you our reality instantly our reality is powered by, you know, our reality directly feeds into gang violence. You know, it, it, I'm finding it difficult to construct this because it is so, it's so silly. Like, why pull the film? This is a triumph for black people um, everywhere. It's a triumph for black people everywhere. Um, and it's just... It's, it's it's amazing to me that this got banned. And View have now said in an article, in a lot of reporting, they are going to be reintroducing the movie, uh, but they're only going to be doing so with extra security. Extra security for what? I'm not being funny. There are there's reports of violence all the time at the cinema, all the time. Unrelated bits of violence, like somebody might see somebody, they might be in an argument, they'll break out and have a fight. That happens all the time. It's not related to the movie at all. It's not related to the movie they're going to see, but there is a clear agenda here to point it at Blue Story because it is such a, it's such an open representation of what black people go through. And because it includes gun, uh, gang violence, it's instantly, oh, it's the movie that's influencing people. No, it's not, actually. In anything, the movie denounces the gang violence. You know, two friends who are divided by something that, you know, is so 
stupid and petty, a postcode they don't even own, which is a line in the trailer, a postcode they don't even own, it's something that divides them, and at the end of the day, the story being told is, um, the story being told is at the end of the day, gangs and violence and things that go on on the streets are you know, they get in the way of everything good in life. You know, it's a proper denouncing of these things, of gang violence, of killing young black people. It is. And, I mean, I'm reading this article here. The writer and director told BBC Arts editor Will um, Will Gompertz, uh, so this is Ratman talking to a BBC editor, they were just in a cinema apparently for Frozen 2, but they pinned it on Blue Story. So I guess, yeah, that is a, that is a sign of institutional racism. Gang violence breaks out... Um, and instantly it's chucked on Blue Story because Blue Story is about gang violence. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I've, what, what, how ridiculous is this? You know, it's, I find it, well, well, you know, you, you can only sit there and laugh. You really can only sit there and laugh at the end of the day. Um, but despite this, Blue Story has succeeded um, doing very well. I think it was 1.3 million um, on its opening weekend, um, which is great, obviously. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just great. You know... It, Sorry, I'm also trying to type a text as well. <laughs> uh, let me just finish that. Um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's... These kids were here for Frozen 2, and I mean, even looking at the images and the videos, one, they're Asian kids. Just there are some black boys mixed in, but the majority of them are Asian kids. It's in Birmingham as well, and out of... All the weapons I could say, I could probably see three weapons, which there should be no weapons whatsoever. But the point is, the Sun and other news outlets have made it look like the, every single 100 of those children were armed to the teeth, like it was some kind of militia brawl. It wasn't. It was two groups, possibly gangs, two groups who had gone to the cinema, supposedly at the same time, supposedly to watch Frozen 2, and they'd clashed. Something had happened and they clashed. But it was instantly blamed on the movie about gang violence. And, you know, Ratman and watching his stuff and studying his stuff, the guy knows what he's doing. The movie itself is a clear denouncement of gang violence. If you bothered to, if they, if, if the executives over at View and Showcase had actually bothered to watch the movie, then they would know exactly what it's about and know that this movie in no way incites violence or promotes it or glorifies it in any way. So the fact that they did it, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, I can't, I, I can't sit there and say that it's, you know, it's not institutional racism, um, because in some ways it clearly is, um, but at the same time, you know, you just got to pin it down to ignorance sometimes, you really do, this is pure ignorance, this is pure looking for someone to blame, but you know, Ratman and the movie have succeeded, they've pushed through, um, and I'm happy for that. I'm so happy for that. 
uh, and I'm glad that's happened because Michael Ward's in it. I'm not sure what the other main guy is. Michael Ward was obviously in Top Boy, an amazing actor. Um, I did a blog post on him and Dave's performances in uh, Top Boy. But Michael Ward is the actor to look out for from the British black community. Obviously, we had John Boyega with Attack the Block um, a couple of years ago, and now we have Michael Ward, and I hope to see him going on to big blockbuster things soon. I'm so happy that the movie has succeeded despite all of the issues because young talent like him are the ones that are going to drive this our people forward. They just are, and the representation of our people forward. So I'm just glad that now, and Rapman, I'm just glad that this uh, this has worked out. Um, and, you know, View and Showcase have just had to, they've had to uh, concede, which is, you know... It's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. So I'm happy for that. But what do you guys think about the whole controversy surrounding Blue Story? Remember, message me on social media or leave a comment on, uh, you know, the stream uh, and the podcast. Just leave a comment telling me, guys, what you think. Uh, we'll see if there's any other developments. Hopefully, Ratman's got a project he'll be bringing out soon. But thank God, um, thank God that. Uh, that this movie has succeeded and thank god it worked its way through because it is an amazing film it is a despite like i said despite me thinking that ratman's interludes and his appearing in the stuff he directs are a bit gimmicky um i'm happy because the almost you know the contextualization um of what's going on on screen for audiences that have no idea you know what this life is like uh it plays into the film perfectly. It plays into the film perfectly. I could watch that, and I wouldn't need Ratman to, um, you know, to say anything because I'd know what was going on. But audiences who don't have any prior content, so who are quite ignorant to the subject, it works really well in informing them, and you can see uh, that. So that is great. It's absolutely great. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just glad. I'm just glad. Um, that it succeeded. So yeah, that is Ratman and the controversy surrounding Blue Story. Um, if there are any more updates, obviously we'll talk about it. Um, you know, it's it's great. It's great that it's that it's working well. It's working well. Um, so next and our last topic, we're going to be talking about Spack Nation and the controversy surrounding Spack Nation. God Almighty. That's all that's ever on my timeline at the minute is SPAC Nation. And I've been quite vocal on social media about it. I haven't made any posts about it in terms of like actual videos or anything for very specific reasons because I kind of wanted to take in everything that was being said um, and wait until there was more official information out. And Jesus Christ, did this place get hit? The Huffington Post has been going in on SPAC Nation. In, they released a mini documentary about it that had a little black book uh, in it. They've been releasing article upon article upon article. You know, it's... It's... Jesus. I mean, the... Uh, what's called here? I'm just reading one that was published on the 13th of November. Um, SPAC Nation, church reported to police, a shadow minister alleges echoes of Rotherham abuse scandal. Now, this 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 is nuts. This is nuts because I've been waiting for an official um, investigation into SPAC Nation um, for ages. Um, I've got into it with Pastor Toby quite a bit, my old Twitter account. I've, he blocked me on my old Twitter account. But now it's really starting to heat up. I think it's starting to heat up more and more and more because Spanish Nation is becoming more involved in politics, especially their support of the um, 
the Conservative Party, um, and not just that, their introduction of trap houses, which the basic principle of trap houses is at the minute is that everybody believes it's a money laundering scheme. Um, you know, they're using the people and the children, young people in those trap houses to generate large amounts of money that all go towards stagnation. Those young children are left in debt and left isolated from their families and from their social circles. And it's a money laundering scheme almost. Um, I want to give a shout out to The Exposer on Twitter and on uh, YouTube. Um, I enjoyed his earlier videos where he used to have the Undertaker music every time he'd do an Exposed video on people like Pastor Mariam and all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting to learn more about the people behind the running of SPAC Nation. Because now at this point, when you look at the public periscopes or the personal periscopes and the videos these people are putting out, you can now connect these people to Pastor Toby directly and direct them to Pastor Toby's influence to the point where Pastor Toby can no longer sit there and claim any kind of immunity at all. And Pastor Toby and the members of the congregation, the uh, ministers and the high-ranking members, they're all coming out and claiming this is fake news, it's got nothing to do with them, but there have been allegations toward, uh, of sexual assault um, in the church, or in the institution. I'm going to call it a religious institution, I don't want to call it a church because it isn't a church, but um, within the uh, religious institution, um, it is, it's... There's been these allegations for a long time, almost a year ago. When I was in my first year of university, there were allegations coming out two years ago. Uh, and now it's out in the centre. Obviously, they've been caught up as well uh, because the Charity Commission have been contacted um, because <laughs> SPAC Nation is registered as, in a lot of ways, as a charity. Um, and... Under commission rules, charities are not permitted to take part in any political campaign on behalf of a party. So they're in trouble there. So <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, it's At this point, we are seeing now SPAC Nation starting to consume the black community in a lot of ways in terms of its influence. Now, I know two people who are members of SPAC Nation, both of which I went to secondary school with. One of them I have a lot of respect for. I've spoken to him about this for... Uh, before about a year ago, and the other person I have no respect for whatsoever because he is a he is a cockroach. He is a he is a leech. Um, you know, he was a bad person when I knew him. He was an arrogant person when I knew him, and he's just transformed even more, uh, more so into one. Just using the guise of being a religious minister um, and a religious vessel now as his as his cover he's it's like he's trying to give himself some sense of divinity um when the reality is no you're just caught up in a ponzi scheme and you will be reprimanded like the rest of them like the rest of them that's it um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say who i'm not gonna re reveal the identities of either people either persons because i don't think that's fair on them um at all so i'm not gonna reveal their identities but it's now, there's been a lot of things coming out and there's been this whole question of seed. Now, seed is payments that the people in the trap houses have to give their leaders and then those leaders will then give it to their um, superiors. And that's where people get the idea that it's a money laundering scheme. Now, I didn't... It's weird because I, I've had an experience where one of the people that I know who is a member of SPAC Nation... I believe has asked me for seed 
and asked me to contribute to his seed. And from looking at um, the screenshots and the periscopes of Mariam and some of the other leaders talking about how much they need seed, how much they're going to force people to go out and get seed, it's worrying. Um, the message was, I need £170, so I was wondering if you could borrow me £85 up until June. Um, I didn't realise what that was about then. I just thought it was general money issues. But now I'm starting to realise that it is more about this whole idea of seed. Um, you know, and it's just horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrifying that these people are taking vulnerable members of our community under the guise of, oh, we're here to protect them, we're here to work for them, we're here to work for the community. But Pastor Toby is on a periscope calling the majority of black people in the community retards. Does he really care about the community? Do these members really care about the community? No, they don't. They care about power, they care about money, which is completely obvious because that's all they're using these children for, which is cash cows. They're making them go into debt with overdrafts at places like HSBC just to get money off them. That's horrible. That's horrible. This is the, these are the people who care so much about the community. And don't even get me started on the religious conversations. Because, again, in full disclosure, me, myself, I no, longer, uh, I no longer consider myself a member of the Catholic Church, which was the church that I was raised in, the Roman Catholic Church. I no longer consider myself a member of that church or, or, or a member of the faith. I believe in God and I believe in the concept of God, but I don't believe in the religious aspects and the religious institutions that dictate my relationship with God and my relationship with my faith. I don't believe in that. Um, so I'm a believer in God. Um, I communicate with God in my own way. I just don't adhere to the religious institutional um, dictations of how that relationship with God is supposed to operate. And, you know, so that's where I stand. I still believe in God. I still believe in um, in certain aspects of his being. I just don't believe in the religious teachings and the didactic regiments uh, that they enforce on you in order to have a good relationship in God, quote-unquote. Um, so don't even get me started on the religious assertions, because as someone who has read the Bible, or someone who's read the Quran, and has studied in depth about God, you know, even if you believe what the Bible says, which, you know, they are very happy throwing the Bible and Bible quotes around, Jesus was angered and God himself was angered when Jesus walked into the temple and found them gambling and found them the, the, the uh, distribution of currency, you know. So the fact that, and it's ridiculous, all of this is, is Pastor Toby is situated above God, above God. If you don't get what I mean, I'll explain it to you. These individuals are praying to God so that God will bring them finances, will bring them money. They need that money to give to Pastor Toby. So essentially what the relationship is, is that God is a conduit to which they obtain money so they can give it to someone they view above God. Because if you are using God to give to someone else and give to someone else, you are placing that person above God. You are placing that person above your relationship with God. So that to me is just, that. that is, that is, Wow. That is heresy. That is that is plain heresy. It is. And it's just amazing because they go on of all this, you know, this is fake news, this is fake news. No, you're now under you're now under investigation by the authorities. You are. You're under investigation from Huffington Post as well. Members have come out and spoken to what you do and how you do it. There's nowhere for you to hide anymore. 
you know, and it, it just makes me laugh. It amuses me that this, you know, that this is the kind of operation they're running. At first, I was a bit like, hmm, like the way they're going about this, they're prioritizing wealth, we're prioritizing wealth over faith. It's a bit weird. Um, but now it's slowly morphed into a monster, a monster that is slowly eating the black side, the black community inside uh, to out. It's just scary. Um, now, as I said, I do know two people who have attended, uh, who attend the uh, the religious institution, and one of them, as I said, I deeply value as a person, and I pray that in no way is he. You know, in no way is he used to the point that some of these young people are using. In no way is he caught up in some of the issues that are going on at the minute with the institution. The other person I couldn't give a shit about, I hope he rots. I hope he rots. And it may seem bad, it may seem petty. I think um, I can't say anything without revealing any any context uh, that will reveal his identity and will bring up this whole can of worms. All I will say is, is that this guy deserves everything that will come to him when it all comes crashing down, as will Pastor Toby, as will Miriam, as will the rest of them. Um, you know, and... It's growing and growing and growing. The tweets and everything about people who are family members who are currently members of the church and what they're going through. It's growing and growing and growing. Obviously, TK as well, one of the member ex members of um, what was it? Soul Soul. The 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 group that did trap mash. Um, the group that did trap mash. Um, he was one of the members of them. He left, and uh, he's pushing a movement at the minute, let the ch- let the kids go, um, which good on him, uh, you know, it's just, it's morphing into a horrible situation, and it's, you know, at some point, you have to sit there and go, when is the black community going to, st- this is my biggest problem with our community, we seem to lack the backbone, when it comes to, you know, cancelling out and addressing issues within our own community. The reason that SPAC Nation is a thing is because we as a community let it become a thing. We let it consume our youth, we let it lead our youth astray. And now we're in this situation where this place has so much power. They're, they're in with the Conservatives now. Pastor Toby and multiple members of SPAC Nation were at the Conservative conference in the front rows when Boris Johnson was delivering his speech on Brexit and on the general election. Pastor Toby and multiple of his members, they have someone who is campaigning um, Jade Edwards for councillorship um, in Croydon. Which Coydon is a massive black community. Can you imagine having a SPAC influenced councillor in Croydon and what that could do to the community? Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. And, you know, it's definitely something I'm going to revisit. I'm probably going to revisit next episode um, and talk a bit more in depth. But it's just horrifying. It really is. It's just horrifying to think of. You know, that this has been happening under our nose and we've just ignored it. And by ignoring it and by letting it flourish, it's got even worse. You know, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Um, you know, and it will come crashing down. It will all come crashing down. They're not a registered church either. So they're a religious institution. Um, it will come crashing down. And everybody who has abused people at that church, young people at that church, everybody who has literally thrown kids in debt with fraud, with any other kind of fund accumulation by pressuring them and bullying them, um, it will come to end for you very soon. Um, and, yeah, that's that's where I think I'm going to leave it there. 
leave it on somewhat of a positive note, you know, a somewhat of a positive note. Um, it was great speaking to you guys. First episode of Everse the Culture Season 2, and it was a great episode. I'm so happy and so thankful we're in this position where we can do it again. I don't know what platform you guys are going to be listening to this on. Uh, I will see. Um, but like I say, on any of the platforms you're listening to it on, follow or subscribe to me. Remember to share this podcast with your friends as well. Get the word out. Give me your ideas and your opinions on the things we've discussed during the podcast today in the comment section or any way you can. Tweet me on social media, etc., etc. And thank you guys so much for listening. Episode 2 will be coming out soon, hopefully midweek next week. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much. Remember, if you have any topics or questions you want to talk to me about in the podcast, just send me that message and yeah, get in touch. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening and uh, I'll see you ready for episode two.